We have been working our way through the book of Romans with just a couple interruptions. We were uh, pausing on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Probably for four or five weeks we've been looking at these verses. And I said I wanted to talk to you about keeping a renewed mind in the middle of a long race. And it became a little bit more timely, almost by accident, with some of the things we've heard. I mentioned this morning from Marty Sampson, Hillsong, worship song uh, composer, some of the songs like I Am Who You Say I Am, um, Oceans, um, How Beautiful Is the Name of Jesus, a number of, of uh, songs that we've been singing. Good songs. I don't mean we can't sing them anymore, but it's just... To hear him say he's uh, moved away and renounced his faith, and then Joshua Harris and a number of others. I want to talk about that in just a minute. I'm reading a book. I'm not recommending it. I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just don't. It's not a nice read, and I'm, I'm just telling you I don't think you're going to enjoy it as much as you think you'll enjoy it when you hear the title, because it's got a great title. The book's called A Recipe for Disaster. Four Ways Churches and Parents prepare individuals to lose their faith and how they can instill a faith that endures. That's a great subtitle. So I've been plowing through a lot of the statistics and stuff, and let me just, let me just share this as we open up. I don't, I don't have time to do this, but I'm doing it. Is that okay with you? All right. Studies show that people who once identified as followers of Jesus are deconverting from their faith, leaving the church, and no longer identifying as Christians. It's happening in record numbers and at record rates. The data indicates the fact that we are on the verge of a deconversion epidemic. He goes back a bit now. In 2001, the Southern Baptist Convention reported they are losing between 70 and 88 percent of their youth after their freshman year in college. Of Southern Baptist Convention teenagers involved in church youth groups, 70% stopped attending church within two years of their high school graduation. The following year, the Southern Baptist Council on Family Life also reported that 88% of children in evangelical Baptist homes leave the church by the age of 18. 88%. The Barna Group announced in 2006 that 61% of young adults who were involved in church during their teen years are now spiritually disengaged. Supporting Barna's findings, the 2007 Assemblies of God study reported that between 50% and 67% of Assemblies of God young people who attend non-Christian, public, or private universities will have left their faith four years after attending college. A similar study from Lifeway Research that came out the same year claims that 70% of students lose their faith in college and of those, only 35% eventually return. And a 2010 UCLA study, Spirituality in Higher Education, so this is not a denominational thing, found that only 29% of college students regularly attend church after their junior year, down from 52% when, before they entered college. A second UCLA study, the College Student Survey, asked students to indicate their present religious commitment. Researchers then compared the responses of freshmen who checked the born-again category with the answers they gave four years later when they were seniors. 
What they found was shocking. On some campuses, as high as 60% of students no longer described themselves as born again. 60% of those who said they were when they entered. That's the kind of stuff that, that the book is about. Keeping a renewed mind in the middle of a long race. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll talk more about that. I'll come back to some of it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. I want... To uh, that call, the call, two of them, the call to unconform our lives to the world and the call to be transformed to the will of God. Both those calls, the one to unconform and the one to be transformed, are presented in the Greek in the continuous ongoing tense. There forever as you live life in this world. They don't go away. You're constantly doing both of those things, no matter how long you've followed Jesus. You are unshaping yourself from Netflix, and you are shaping yourself around God's Word. That you will do until Jesus comes again, you see Him face to face, and you are finally like Him. I want this teaching to be as simple as it can be tonight. I want to talk about the things, three things, we all must do to keep being made new. They never go away, and they never change. These are the things we must do if we are to stay sharp with the mind of Jesus. These are the things we must do if we're going to keep spiritual fervor warm in our souls. It's not automatic for me, and it's not automatic for any of us. This is what you have to do in the middle of a long, hard race. The middle stretch, where the sound of the starting gun and the excitement of the crouch at the beginning is gone and the finish line is not in sight. The middle stretch, pounding heart, screaming lungs, headache, shortness of breath, agony, pushing ahead, that stretch. Here are the things we must do. One. Make this an unbreakable law of your life. Never miss one day. Never miss one day spending time alone with Jesus in prayer. You won't always give the same amount of time every day. I get it. Life gets hectic for all of us. Don't allow yourself to put your head on your pillow and go to sleep if you haven't spent some time in prayer. Luke 11, 1, one of Jesus' disciples comes to him and says the words that have uh, made their mark in history. Lord, teach us to pray. The striking thing about that is it's the only time on record that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. 
They asked him a lot of questions, but they never asked Jesus, how do you preach? Tell us how to tell these parables. How do you walk on water? Tell us how to turn water into wine. How do you heal lepers? But they saw Jesus pray over and over again when they weren't. And it's almost as though they knew this was the the key to everything else about him. I think if we could kind of crawl into their minds when they asked Jesus this question, if you could get to the core of it. They saw something in Jesus that they knew they couldn't just copy. It wasn't just a WWJD thing. They saw something they couldn't just mimic. You you, you can't copy a prayer life. It, It won't work mechanically. They saw a life kind of spilling up from inside the Lord that was, it was, remember we use these terms, that was organic. It was, it was a part of his inner life. And while they weren't brilliant about everything, they could figure out this much. Something of Jesus' life was tied to the way he prayed to his father. And if he could pass that secret on to them, they would have what they needed. So I just want to come back and ask you. Here we sit tonight. Let me ask you a hopelessly blunt, old-fashioned question. I don't know when the last time I asked it from the pulpit. How much time do you spend praying every day? Honestly. Ten minutes? Fifteen? Do you think any of us reach a half hour? It took me way too long to come to terms with the truth that you you can't just learn prayer from books on prayer. There are no seminars that can really teach you to pray. You you, you just pray. You, you, You learn prayer by praying. You learn prayer by doing it. And that's why, at least most of the time, when Jesus taught his disciples about prayer, he would would talk to them about what Father God was like. And he would talk to them about the kind of dangers there were to the prayer life. He would talk about things like unforgiveness and how it would keep God from hearing you when you prayed. He would talk about greed. The New Testament, James would talk about when you just All your desires are at the center of everything, and prayer won't work that way. Jesus talked about sleepiness when he talked to his disciples. He went over many, many different things, and he brought them all back to how they affected the prayer life. So in other words, he taught about the things that inspire prayer, like the loving, listening, promising heart of a father. And then he talked about the things that would shut down a prayer life. But very rarely, with that one exception of what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer, very rarely did he give talks on just techniques about how to pray. I need to uh, constantly deal with my own heart about this. The longer I live the Christian life, Christian life in ministry, 
the more you can just assume things and think you know things better than you really know them. I need to remind myself that you can't, you can't learn spiritual life in quite the same way you can learn about theology. An atheist can study theology. I can never distort the Christian life into merely admiring Jesus or even liking Jesus. He doesn't even, and we'll do this in a little while, I'm not knocking it at all, he doesn't even ask us just to sort of sing praise songs to him, sing love songs to Jesus. Would you want someone singing love songs to you if they never talked to you? Would you? So the whole prayer thing, is so important to the Christian life. The only way love for Jesus is authenticated is in the time we give to private prayer. This, by the way, is how Jesus shows his love for us. He's doing something right now, you know. He's at the right hand of the Father. You know what he's doing? He's interceding for you. Praying. Refuse to let one day go by without spending some time alone with Jesus in prayer. Just don't let it ever, ever happen. Not once. Two, learn the ongoing art of forging spiritual truth into lively memory. Now, I want to explain that a bit. Every day you have to do this. The things you have to do every day. Learn the art of forging spiritual truth into lively memory each and every day. When you were born again, uh, God in his grace, he saved me, he forgave all my sins. But when you were born again and when I was born again, we didn't automatically learn a new way of thinking about life. Some people think they did, and they get that impression from familiar Bible verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And those are beautiful, powerful, descriptive words of the, the scope of transformation our Lord brings. So the change Jesus brings, we used these words a long time ago, you probably don't even remember, is a comprehensive change, not particular. He doesn't just come to solve this problem in my life or that problem in my life. He, 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 works, he works like the, the, the way, uh, you know, you get, uh, uh, the word I'm looking for is a vaccine or something. It gets, it gets right into your whole body. Comprehensive. It's that kind of a change so that when Jesus comes into my heart, he doesn't want to touch just a part of my life. He wants to rule all of it. Everything is new. He reaches into your past and he cleanses you from all your sin. He wants to progressively reach into your affections and change the things that rev you and excite you. He wants to affect all of your relationships if you're married with your spouse, parenting your children, your boss at work, we're called to love and forgive enemies in a way that we didn't before. It's wonderful. It's a comprehensive, brand new start. Every area of life begins all over again. That's the important word. Every area of life begins 
all over again. But while that change is comprehensive, it's not finished. That's why one of the common expressions we use to describe conversion is being born again. It's the start of everything, absolutely everything. But it's not the completion of anything. It seemed like this was on Jesus' mind a lot because he reiterated this idea over and over again. He had, he had stern words for people who confused, who confused the beginning of something with the end of something. You know these words, Luke 14, 27 to 32. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, just pause there. So everything he's going to say from this point on is about discipleship. Okay, he's introduced the topic in verse 27. He's talking about people who are going to follow him. What does following Jesus involve? Well, apparently more than we think. Now he's going to give these illustrations of what following him in discipleship is really like. 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Figure that out. And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So when Jesus gives these illustrations about you start, a, you start a skyscraper, imagine this happens. And they're building that freedom tower in Manhattan. And they do the foundation, all the railways and subways and everything that were underneath that building and are put back in place again, all the tracks hundred and some odd trains that all run underneath. And then it got about 15 feet in the air, and the guys went, oh, shoot, this is costing more than we thought. And it just sat there. Jesus said a lot of people start the Christian life, and they never really sort out what it's going to take to, to, to complete it. He's talking about being his disciple. Verse 27. In other words, a big part of being a disciple of Jesus is not confusing the beginning of it with the end of it. I, I'm slowly learning more and more to ask myself certain questions near the beginning of each day. Sometimes if I'm alone in my office and people don't think I'm insane, I'll close the door and sometimes I'll actually say the words semi out loud. I just don't want them to be thoughts. I'll actually move my lips. And I'll say something like, why, why did God give me another day of life and strength? How come I'm here? 50,000 people die every day in this world. God takes 50,000 people out of this world every day. You go to bed tonight and you wake up tomorrow, you ought to say, so how come I wasn't one of them? Why am I here? Why did he give me another day? Make yourself give a clear answer because you'll face the rest of the day differently. If the answer is God just wants to be 
wants me to be deliriously happy and give me Jabez-sized material blessings, then that's what you'll live for. And you'll find personal problems frustrating. You'll find interruptions to the blessings you're expecting annoying. But if you answer, God gave me this day to demonstrate to everyone I meet that Christ is my treasure rather than anything in this world, you'll face that day differently. And you'll come to see all the daily irritants of life as opportunities to show the unsurpassing glory of Christ because the irritants are trifles in comparison. It'll make a huge difference. That's just one example. The questions are many and precious. You've got some of them there in front of you. Why would God allow enemies to foul up my plans today? Why did God not allow me to fulfill and accomplish my goals? Did he have something else in mind? What would Jesus have done first today? Why am I always too tired to read my Bible but full of energy to play hockey or golf? Do you know people who go all week, they're tired, and then they tell you they couldn't come to church on Sunday, they just crashed on Sunday. They don't crash on Saturday. They don't crash on Monday. Just Sunday. Who do you think's behind that? In view of eternity, how should I arrange my time today? What would my friends say is my greatest love if they followed me around all day today? That's a great question. What could God be teaching me through this situation he has me in? Here's one. If I allow these feelings that I'm feeling in my heart right now room to grow and remain, where will they take me in one or two years? This is what I mean by remembering God's word in a lively way every day. It's not just reading the Bible. Meditating literally means mumbling or speaking to oneself. It's, it's a regurgitating scriptural truth in a way that, that stuffs it into your mind like stuffing in a turkey. Bible reading is almost, not quite, but almost useless without that. The power of the truth is not self-sustaining. It's not automatic in our minds. It constantly has to be recalled. It's made to resurface, brought back to the top again. Here's the way Peter puts it, 2 Peter 1, 10 to 13. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Diligent. If you practice, there's another verb, practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. You know this. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of recalling, replaying, reliving. I think it right, 13, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. If you practice these things. You practice truth by bringing it back to your mind. You practice truth by asking your mind the right questions. 
You bring truth to bear when it's needed, when the situation calls for it. Peter says, without that, without that, 2 Peter 1.9, he says people will lose their way. They'll fall away. They'll fall away. Let me, now I want to just, I'm interrupting what's on those notes, just for a second. What about this, Pastor Don? What about, what about, what about those statistics? What about Marty Sampson? What about Joshua Harris? And there's going to be dozens of others. Pastor Don, doesn't this upset you? Doesn't it make you kind of stop and say, wait a minute, if all these people thought they believed and found out they didn't, what if we're all just, what if we're all just kidding ourselves? Eh? Maybe we're all wrong. Oh, no. And this is, here you have a classic example of what, of what Peter's talking about, about knowing and remembering what the word says. Let me tell you why all this is happening. Whether it's Marty Sampson or Joshua Harris or Charles Templeton or any number of people you can name who were passionately committed to Jesus and walked away from it. Should that shake our faith? I'll tell you why not. Let me read you. This is in the red print in my Bible. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And many will fall away. Are you surprised at people walking away from their faith? You ought not to be. Keep going down to 12. Lawlessness will increase. The love of many, Jesus says, will go cold. Not a few. Not a couple. Piles of them, Jesus says. Here's the striking thing. So, so you got a guy like uh, Joshua Harris who says he left it because he could no longer believe the Bible was literally true. And his departure from the faith is actually a proof that what the Bible says is completely accurate. Of course many people are going to wander away. What, what did you think was going to happen? That's what Jesus said. Many are going to. There's no need for that to shake your faith. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. We're talking about how to avoid that kind of thing. Okay, three. We're almost done. Make your capacity, your spiritual capacity, bigger by stretching your mind to struggle with deeper and deeper truth. You know how exercise works. I don't go to a gym. But the idea is, so, so you're, you've got weights and you're doing curls. And, it, and it's not the first ten curls that do anything to strengthen you. The ones that do the most benefit are, you, you did 75 last week, and you thought you were going to die, and you get to about 74, 75. Now the ones that are going to build muscle are at 76. 77! 78! Which are the curls that are doing something to your body? It's those last ones. It's those last ones. Why? Because they're the hardest. Now you're stretching your capacity. That's exactly what I'm talking about in in this last point. Not everyone is at the same level. Not everyone is supposed to be, and we never will be. But everyone can stretch and grow and must. Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And the psalmist marries study with delight. The the ways of God are just too great to simply be glossed over. 
Okay, let me just step on a couple of toes. Christian novels won't fuel deep delight in God. They can bring relaxation, which is fine in small doses, but they will never bring deep delight in God. Study brings delight, and study requires work. I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to finish with it. It's a great little quote. He said this. Is this in your notes? Oh, perfect. For my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books, and I rather suspect that the same experience may await others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they just sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. Only you'll live longer without the pipe. The questions that are causing people like Joshua Harris to leave the faith don't need to cause anybody to leave the faith. You just need to study and work and think. Never let one day go by without time alone with Jesus in prayer. Stretch that out as time goes by. Keep truth alive in your memory, regurgitating, asking the right questions at specific times during the day. Three, study. Find delight in studying things. Increase your capacity. Increase your depth. Don't stay at the same level all the time. You'll find life opening up for you instead of shrinking down. 